Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Reince, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. talk about it next time we talk we're gonna have a champion there will be a european champion there will be a european champion that's right that's all but assured and 538's odds actually give it pretty even across the board relatively even across the board yeah that's that's sort of surprising because you would think that the winner of the france belgium game would look better against the other two teams but they have such a Hmm. lower each of them has like a lower chance of getting by the other one right because they have to get through each other i mean so one thing i was thinking is does this say that group g was really the the toughest group because one group managed to put two into the final four that's pretty good does that how often does that happen Uh oh we're supposed to have this data (laughs) we should have that would have been a good question to answer oh well uh, do you do you get to watch any of the last two games? I don't think I've seen like three minutes of France. Oh really? And I'm, I'm feeling like <laughs> this is like the O four um, Red Sox Yankees series where I just like if I don't watch, they might win without me. But the butterfly effect of me watching might just like bring them crashing. <laughs> just down. enough to do it. Yeah, I understand. I haven't been able to watch a lot. <laughs> also, the All Star Game starters and reserves were announced. Any one you want to talk about? I mean, like, half of this... These players. Brandon Crawford. Nick Markakis. No, I mean, Nick Markakis is is just enjoying, like, his half-season-long hot streak before he definitely falls off just in time to crush my team for the playoffs. So I sent Mike a... (laughs) A tweet which had a um, multiple choice, and it said the tweet was something about five Indians have made the the All Star game. Which one are you most excited to see? And it had four options, and left Trevor Power <laughs> off. <laughs> Guys, I'm right here. They were a little hamstrung. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, sorry, man. Didn't quite fit. He is the. Oh no, he's not even the only pitcher because Kluber. <laughs> Yeah. No, it should have really just been like Jose Ramirez other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That's about it. I cannot believe that Jose uh Jose Abreu. What do you mean? Why can't you believe it? I just it I, it just really tells you that first base is like such a dearth right now. In the AL. In the AL. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's I don't, it's not a dearth in the NL. No, but yeah, in the in the AL, yeah, Joey Votto, Paul Goldschmidt, a little guy named Freddie Freeman. But uh, Manny Machado screwing up the all Jose infield. <laughs> Come on, Manny. He should change his name to Jose Machado for one day. They they could have definitely had a, a whole Jose team. That would have been good. 
That would have been great. Anyway, we're going to talk more about Manny Machado in a little bit. Today on the pod, we are going to summarize our buy low and sell high discussions. We had a lot of interesting tidbits that were sort of spread out over the past four pods, and we're going to try and put them all together and package them up. And then in the second half, Eric is going to indulge me and talk about a numerical method that I was interested in and how we can implement it. Here we go. I think that a lot of interesting tidbits came out of the past month of our discussion, but we kind of thought it would be interesting to put it all together, update a couple spots as necessary, and just frankly repeat a couple things that we liked that we said before. So I, bro- I broke this into three categories. Um, I was thinking about the evaluating the pitchers, evaluating the hitters, and then we should think about the economics of this pot of this as well. Absolutely. Very important to actually ground this in <laughs> what the, what the value is. <laughs> so, all right, let's ground ourselves. Let's start there. How about this? How do you actually put together one of these trade packages? Okay. I mean, we, we sort of kicked that around about how we actually execute one of these. And I thought you had a really good insight, which was talking about looking for guys that are at the same value right now, but you're really looking to trade for the guy that you think has a lot of, has more potential for value in the future. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about Jose, Jose Ramirez earlier this season and saying like, geez, he's, he's an amazing player. And I had said before the season, I had had him in like the top 12 and you'd had him uh, decently higher than um, some analysts as well. And but then you're not going to sell him for a top five player who's underproducing because who's going to have the bigger value add over the rest of the season? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so the idea that, and so we thought about it from both angles. We thought about it and we didn't, we didn't articulate it quite as well on both sides, but the, the idea of looking, matching the player on your team that has a current value that you think is, is not going to be stable. And the, the example that we used was Ender and Ciarte trading, if you could yeah. possibly trade him for Carlos Correa. The idea that, like, Enciarte is really hot right now, but he's so up and down that you don't know what's going to happen. And it's not the end of the world if you trade Enciarte for Correa and you just put Correa in and forget about him. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how many players would have taken that trade, <laughs> but they were at the same value point in terms of ownership, in terms of. Um, the different metrics that, that we use to play a Raider. I'm going to be mad at you when NCRT takes off and he's the, the keeper for the next 10 years. He's a 300 batting average uh, guy. At the, if he gets a 300 at the end of the season, it's still, wow, that would yeah. be amazing. I know. He's 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 good. Um, we talked. To, we kicked around a little bit the idea of reliance on specific targeted categories and how that kind of makes the economics difficult. And what I mean by that is how do you how do you evaluate saves and how do you evaluate stolen bases? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we came up with a, a great solution for these, other than we sort of said mm-hmm. stay away from these on some level as buy low, sell high guys. These are sort of these those two categories and the, the guys that are specialists in those exist somewhat outside the purview, especially on the buy low side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to if geez, it's like sort of a problem. It's a nice to have problem. The only thing that you're trying to trade for is one of those two things. Well, yeah, <laughs> but otherwise they're, they're going to cost you so much that it's not worth it cost you so much and and then jumping into the next point i think it's really hard to evaluate get a true sense of the value 
for mm-hmm. the, for those on some level as well. And so the next point is one, what I think was the main glaring omission from everything that we've talked about in the past month. And so I'm curious to get some of your thoughts on this. We did not talk at all about cross-trading hitting versus pitching. That is trading a hitter for a pitcher or vice versa and how you would possibly begin to evaluate that. Yeah, I feel like listening back to the pods, we didn't we didn't mention it at all, but I know that we had a couple of like ugh, um, <laughs> moments where that got cut out. I think it's really hard to trade um, hitters for pitchers in a reliable way uh, because pitchers' value is so sporadic. So I think that's actually, that leads me into the the other two categories, talking about evaluating pitches and talking about hitters. And I think one of the things that we should keep in mind for the next, you know, next few minutes is how could we possibly evaluate cross-trading and how could we think about those a little bit? Okay. So let me talk about the pitchers. You gave me, over the course of like a five-minute stretch... the top 10 pitchers like it was it was very spread out <laughs> so so just for clarity i collected it and i'm just going to give it to you right now here's what you said two weeks ago you said in order verlander scherzer kluwer severino cole degrom sales strasburg kershaw carrasco do you want any of those back i don't think carrasco i mean we had said we were talking about where nola fitted into mm-hmm. into the discussion and I think that the what we kind of fell down on, what, yeah, where we kind of fell down was that Nola was in that top ten and Carrasco was not. That's right. Yeah, and so just to just to give a little bit more context, we we talked about the guys that you that we thought were clearly outside the top ten, but sort of hovering in that next level, which was. So I think I think we agree that you could swap Nola in for Carrasco, and then you have Paxton, Lester, Bauer, Syndergaard in sort of a tier where you're like, well, I wonder if I would actually trade them for that 10th guy. But ultimately, we sort of settled on no. No. So now that you talked a little bit about Cole a couple of minutes ago, who would you trade him for? Probably nobody on this list, because you probably can't get anyone higher than him on this list. So how would you think about trading Cole across to get a hitter? Yeah, what would I have to get back to trade Cole? For you to Cole? want to move him. Yeah. Who's the top 20 hitter who has um, shown the most life? The most life. What about, would you move him for, let me, th- let me throw some names for you. Would you move him for Arenado? Yeah. You would. Would you move him for Benintendi? Mm, no. Okay. Would you move him for Machado? Yes. I would rather a player who is um, underperforming than overperforming if I'm going to trade Cole. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would be someone between... Because I don't think Freddie Freeman isn't going to be available. Andrew Benintendi, probably not available. No. Javi Baez, probably not going to be traded for for Cole. I could see someone with Charlie Blackman being like, well, you know, why don't we just do this? It gets hurt a lot. But yeah, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa. Yeah, you move on for those. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting. That's actually an interesting value point. And that probably, I'm I'm coming around to your thought that it would have been good to move him for that value. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, now, you know, past couple outings, you might not, the, the owner of the other guy might not be wanting Cole as badly anymore. 
No, and Cole is pulling a Chris Sale and going like five innings, even on yeah. good games. <laughs> All right, I have two quick case studies. Um, and what I want from you is whether these guys are buy low or sell high. We punted on both these guys when we talked about them earlier and said that we would discuss it at a later time. So now is the later time. The two guys are <laughs> Manny Machado and Nomar Mazzara. Are they buy low or are they sell high? Manny Machado is buy low and Nomar Mazzara is sell high. There you go. Boom. Done. <laughs> so I thought that. I I comp- I thought that in terms of in terms of my bias. Thank you for the outro. Yeah. I thought that in terms of my bias, something we'll talk about later. But is Manny Machado really a sell low? He or a, a buy low? He looks pretty much exactly like he looked last year, which was fine. But if you're buy, are you buying him at the 2016 level? I mean, it's you know he hits 37 home runs, 105 runs, 96 RBIs. Or are you buying him at a slightly lower value? Well, so what are what do you think the numbers are for Machado? I have the numbers, the estimate for the rest of the season for Manny Machado. What do I what do I think he's going to do? I think I don't see any reason that he won't. Um, basically double his double his current totals or basically be on the exact pace that he's on. So he's going to hit another 19 home runs. So he ends the se- so I would say rest of the season, he hits another 19 home runs, hit plates another 40 runs. I think his RBIs regress a little bit. I just don't see the Orioles being that good, although he might be traded next week. So call it another 40 RBIs and then he steals five bases, five more bases. So the um, rest of the season stats that I had here, Mm -hmm. I I was using this for the next segment. Um, He's projected to have 267 at-bats, 37 more runs, 16 more home runs, 46 RBIs, 4 stolen bases, and bat 301. So So I'm even a little more optimistic than those rest of season projections. A little bit, yeah. Nomar Mazzara, uh, sell high. I think we're in agreement. I mean, his 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 home runs are just on a totally unsustainable pace. Oh, yeah. They've already dropped off from when we were talking about him. Yeah. Okay. All right. I buy that. I think we were not sure before, but the benefit of a couple more weeks of observations, and we know. Coming up in the next section, we get a little deep on the jargon. So we're going to give you a chance to hit skip twice. Eric's going to tell you the cue in the outtake. Well, do you think that was more than 15 seconds, or do you think that was just one exact skip ahead? <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll figure out how to make it a 15 second. Um, 15 seconds from a Gaussian mixture model is... <laughs> awesome. I'll just interject. Feel free to hit the forward button. All right, what's the prompt? We are always hunting for how we can apply new tools to old problems, and Mike wanted to dabble with Gaussian mixture models. You want to say a little bit more about that? Well, I was just reading. <laughs> I was reading a book. A book on clustering and Bayesian inference, and it was, <laughs> and you know, there's like there's a section on k-means which I have used for research before, and so I was just looking up. I was looking up 
the expect the expectation maximization steps separated and just reading about the theory, you know, fun stuff. And I flipped the page and it said, if you want to do a different sort of unsupervised learning, you should employ Gaussian mixture models, which are a more flexible implementation. And I thought, mm -hmm. we have used k-means somewhere. Could we possibly upgrade it? Upgrade. Yes, indeed. So what is a Gaussian mixture model? So I'm going to just read this right off. Uh, was the definition from one of your IO uh, GitHub pages. Hmm. A Gaussian mixture model is a probabilistic model that assumes all the data points are generated from a mixture of a finite number of Gaussian distributions with unknown parameters. One can think of mixture models as generalizing k-means clustering to incorporate information about the covariance structure of the data as well as the centers of the latent Gaussians. That's, it's a good definition. It's, it's wordy, but it's a way of saying that you know that there's dependencies in here. And this is one of the things that we've talked about a ton in the past, that there's a dependency of home runs and RBIs and runs, and there's a dependency of batting average on runs. So all these things that we've used, tried to use our clustering on, we've ignored all of that. We've ignored the fact that they could depend on each other. And this can help give us some information about that. So I thought, you know, the first way that we would we'd tackle this, I don't know if you've already done this, Mike, but um, why don't we run through a quick copy-paste example um, of the Gaussian mixture model comparing it to k-means um, through, through baseball data instead of some random point cloud. I like it. All right, so one of the examples he gave um, showed, uh, tried to, attempted to show um, the inferiority of k-means clustering um, by essentially saying, okay, here's here are random points, which is, I think, the iris data set, if anyone is actually a data nerd out there, um, set up, uh, you know, use, set up four clusters within that data, and then show how k-means actually works to set those cluster centroids and then assign each data point to a cluster centroid. So we've got that here. And I decided um, I took the rest of season projected stats mm. for pitchers. Uh, so I did a quick clustering on that, four clusters on the data set. We have stripes, essentially, in the data. Um, then we drew some circles around each one of those clusters and we see that there's overlap circles as in the, um, kind of the diameter of the cluster of the, the uh, data that's assigned to each cluster from the centroid. And you see that there's a whole lot of overlap. I mean, basically some of the clusters are essentially Venn diagrams of the <laughs> other two clusters. Yeah. I mean, in this example... Two of the clusters, yeah, two of the clusters are subparts of another one, and that's that's yeah. solely a consequence of the the clustering metric, the way that you associate points with other points. Yeah, exactly. And then there's a way to kind of stretch out that data and really show um, to show that, even though the kind of the relationship between and this is on ERA and WIP, and mm -hmm. the relationship is pretty linear between ERA and WIP. All right, so then we shove this, shove this shit into a GMM. 
again, our data is a little stripey, but once we, when we actually draw, and this time instead of circles, we have ellipses, and then you can see, especially once you stretch out the data, you can see how it ends up being a, a better metric for assignment because like look at these green points this these are going to be people who stretch their era stretches from 2.5 out to <laughs> to nine but their whip is all up at two so they're all put into a similar cluster this means that they um, rather than equally weighting era and whip and um, in each one of these clusters, it has like more a flatter distribution. Right. This this gives you this basically says that ERA and WIP aren't square. That there's some that ERA or WIP has a much smaller uh, range of values than your ERA does. Yeah, absolutely. This also tells us that we that we really want the players in the blue cluster. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is talking about the blue cluster. And those are guys that have an ERA between, for the rest of the season, projected between like half a point and just over four. But they all have a whip that's really from like 0.9 to like 0.2, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so these are, these are good pitchers. Uh, you want to hear some pitchers who are not in that blue cluster? I would love to. Okay, one pitcher who's not in the cluster, John Lester. Really? Yep. Okay. So maybe Another we pitcher? Were, yeah. Carlos Martinez. Ooh, does that hurt you? No, because the next pitcher, Chris Archer. <laughs> that does hurt me. <laughs> I think, I mean, that sort of seems fair. That's interesting. You want to know another one? Yeah. Carlos Carrasco. Oh, really? <laughs> well, yeah. all right. He's officially out of our top 10 then. Walker Bueller. Yeah, okay. Jose Barrios. That hurts. Zach Grinky. I mean, I could have told you that, but yes. <laughs> and Fultonevich, Tanaka, Lance McCullers, Rick Porcello, Robbie Ray, Jake Arrieta, and Johnny Cueto. Round out guys who are you know, top 40-ish pitchers who are not in that, that top cluster. It's kind of too bad that Robbie Ray is in that, but... Robbie Ray? I, <laughs> I mean, you would have said that he was in there. I, I buy all of this. I think that's good. I think this is fun. Thanks for putting that together for this initial look. Yeah, so look forward, everyone, to hearing more about GMM, Gaussian Mixture Models. You about ready to wrap this sucker up? I am, and you sent this article to me earlier this week and asked if I saw some fantasy parallels in it. It's talking, it's this 538 article website that we absolutely love titled, Democrats are wrong about Republicans and Republicans are wrong about Democrats. And don't go running away because we're not a political podcast. And we're not going to make this about politics. That's right. But it is, it is pretty funny. Um, essentially, the article is talking about this one um, this one study in which um, social scientists put a poll together about um, asking Republicans and asking Democrats about basic, basic questions about the composition of their party and the opposite party and trying to see if they were able to get percents right. So, for instance, 
um, Republicans were asked, <laughs> were asked, how many Democrats are union members? And Republicans assumed that 44% of Democrats are union members. That was just the number that they together as a whole put together. And the real share is 11%. So I, these things are interesting. I mean, it just tells you that you should actually go out there and get the numbers, I guess. Yeah, well, the, I mean, you mentioned this the, the other day about, like, um, I think we were talking about the ownership models in one of the recent pods, and it was like, wow, that guy is owned? That, <laughs> many, that many leagues? And I was like, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, he's worth being owned. Who knew? It is pretty funny. I think that brings us to the review session. Independence Day. How happy are you that we remembered that it was going to be July 4th last week <laughs> and therefore chose to watch this movie? What, what a good movie. And what a well-timed movie to watch. It was an excellently, well, an excellently well-timed movie. The district... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Quick, quick. On the histogram of like how excited you are to watch the movie over the course of the year. Year is the x-axis. Mm -hmm. Excitement is <laughs> the y-axis. Like, it is very peaky. This is a Mengden. This is a total Mengden curve. This is a Mengden, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, could you imagine watching this in, like, December or January? Oh, it's... No. Feel, oh, my God, uh, no. It feels so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the line, I could have been at a barbecue, just doesn't mean anything. In January. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Welcome to Earth doesn't mean anything. It's true. When you're like, I, I want to get off of this planet. It's so cold. Why am I here? All right. I have, I have two thoughts. One quick. One might take a little bit more discussion. First thought. Did you... Was it just me or were the special effects worse in this than the other 90s movies that we've seen? I think yes and no. The ship... The alien ships felt not good oh i thought the alien ships were oh wait, wait which, which ones when like the when ones, they're the doing the space battle yes yeah the fighters were just bad cgi there was some there was some really bad cgi no this is the problem with the 90s is that as you go along in the 90s it's like well we can do so much more and then there was no one saying no stop don't <laughs> there's no willy wonka saying that to them that's right so that that's my short thought second thought now that we've seen both of these, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park or Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day? Okay, who is this a Mary Fuck Kill kind of thing? <laughs> um, no. Who would you? Which one would you rather be? I I kind of think I kind of think Independence Day. I mean, it's like he there's I had forgotten totally forgotten about the environmental streak. I had forgotten about that too. No, this is definitely more. This is definitely Jeff Goldblum um, closer to your uh, goal. Yeah, absolutely. Nerd saves the world from a um, kind of boring ass job where he uh, is on the side a chess savant and um, able to hack into global satellite network. That's uh, yeah. Thank yeah. That hey, that sounds pretty great. <laughs> I, that was actually sort of the point that I had wanted to talk about. Like, we are talking about a lot of movies where, like, the nerd savant, like, has his day. Yeah. 
Obviously. I feel like this movie, though, is sort of a watershed for the, like... This is sort of... Well, this is sort of the end. Yeah, Because for a while, till, like, our generation was like, well, we liked those movies when we were kids. Why don't you bring those back? (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, as we watched 300, like... There's no one intelligent in that movie. That's right. Yeah, it was like the the early 2000s to mid, you know, zeros, the aughts, was totally different. I mean, even Neo was this character, but like that was never played up. It was like, oh, he's a hacker, but really like he's the chosen one. It wasn't like he like saved the day with his hackingness. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I never thought about that, but you're right. Could you imagine if he was like... Now I see the Matrix because of my GMM model <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> holy shit, Neo would have been that much cooler. All right, let's rewrite the Matrix. I'm in. Um, yeah, no, pretty good movie. But it, the thing about this movie is you have to watch it at the right time. Agreed. Probably a little bit broader window than 300 where we kind of had to watch it. We weren't able to like the bros kind of like watch it together and be like, yeah. this is... You know, a couple of brewskis, and <laughs> this is this is so stupid, but so awesome. Which is like the only way you can watch Three Hundred. Are you saying that you're steering us in that direction this week? Let's let's finish off three a a trilogy that we all need to watch. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Easy sell for me. It's time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy Tools mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is horse to luck to you, buddy. Horse to luck to you, too.